0: Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity
1: and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. That is the record of liberation, a
0: formless field of affection, we are in the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all we. Prepare for talk. Introduction. So, good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to see you. I just want you to know there are three cameras in here. (laughs) So if I'm spinning my head around like the exorcist lady, you know (laughs) what. Okay, so. uh, To start, I wanted to say that um, I have uh, sent out a packet of um, handouts online. So if anybody did not or cannot download those, if there's any issue with that, um, please let me know. For the folks here, um, I'll make copies at home if need be. And bring them. Just let me know uh, as soon as you can. And um, for those folks online, uh, if you're not coming in, or even if you are coming in, if you need copies, let me know. In case you can't get a hold of them. Okay. Um, so I'd like to start with a few uh, comments. And the first one is welcome to the June uh, 2001 when they sit plus. Um, so I just have these uh, suggestions to, to um, bring your wholehearted self to, to this occasion. And um, so you can get the most benefit out of it. Um, some people may be coming and going because uh, it's not. Some people may not be coming this evening, but they come tomorrow. They just come part of tomorrow. So, despite that, I'd like to try to keep the container as best we can. <clears throat> so, um, the way to do that is just follow the schedule as best we can, and um, and that means limited conversations, like usual, uh, just. we're having actual activities and the Dharma talks so maybe we can kind of hold it together um, so that would make for a little bit better container Um, so follow the schedule unless directed otherwise and no doubt I'll be changing the schedule because I always do (laughs) so I'll let you know if that has has to happen for some reason Um, be on time for stuff like always Um, so that means five minutes before uh, be in your seat or before the computer. And bathroom breaks, as always, we suggest that you take them um, either during the breaks or lunch, and uh, during kinhan and then tea tomorrow. For tonight, before this weekend, the topic uh, that I have chosen is how do we apply our spiritual practice to um, to bear or to contend with the dire condition of our planet. So um, I'm warning, uh, warning that the first few minutes of this talk are, are about the bad news, but then we go on to the good news afterwards. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, we're all aware of this that the Earth, excuse me the earth <coughs> the earth is in terrible distress and it's crying out and we know this because of the earthquakes the floods the droughts the rising ocean temperatures the hurricanes tsunamis a rapid extinction of species and these are all signs of the earth's imbalance And we're aware that they are indications of a tipping point. You know, a tipping point where it's irreversible change and unforeseeable consequences. And so these signs are actually what Thich Nhat Hanh calls the bells of mindfulness. Because they're reminding us, as always, to wake up, Pay attention and listen. So the background, a little bit of background about this, why I chose this topic. I, um, when I was out in California a couple of weeks ago, I happened to uh, find a book in a bookstore there and it's called uh, Spiritual Ecology, The Cry of the Earth. And in this particular book, it's is an anthology of essays by by many people, by twenty one people, and um, these people are range from Buddhists, a few Buddhist teachers. Um, there are uh, the Pope Francis is included. He's got a talk in there. Um Richard Rohr is in there, Um, the uh, indigenous voices have several indigenous leaders, their elders, uh, shamans, and different guides of all sorts. So there's there's quite a number of different kinds of things that are being said in this book. But uh, by and large, what it's talking about is the subject matter is the situation of our earth is dire and it's time to start applying spiritual practice to respond to it and the reason why this is the case is <clears throat> what we mean by spiritual spiritual practice we're talking about of course the spirit but we're talking about how to have a relationship with the earth that's a big thing and a, a positive relationship one where we can say, well, we want to heal the earth. It's no longer just a situation of simply throwing technology at it. It's about individuals, large groups of people coming to realize that the natural world, that our earth, is something that we can extend ourselves instead of being a, a separate self, like we always talk about, can we? extend ourselves and include the earth in in our sense of being part of ourselves and we're if we're part of the earth and the earth is part of us so with that change the relationship our relationship to the earth changes it just makes sense this goes with that so that's what all of these people are, are suggesting in the different ways they have a little bit different framework but it's basically basically that so some folks say that our planet is a living being we've heard that in the Gaia talks Oops. in the Gaia talks that uh, that's the whole sense of the earth is that it? it's living being or in other people's minds it's a spiritual entity in others, it's a gift from God. But basically, the way that we deal with it doesn't differ despite these different categorizations of it. So for all these writers, the earth is perceived as a part of us, as I said, and it needs to be valued and protected rather than a separate object from us to be exploited and destroyed. So emergent question then is how do we create or recreate a spiritual relationship with the earth so that's what we'll be looking at more specifically tomorrow but tonight i want to um, discuss a little bit of of what some of these people say i'm not going to go in great depth but just i think it's so interesting that they overlap despite the spiritual backgrounds of them so this is a short synopsis of them so, Pope Francis, who the thought? Um, in 2015, he uh, released a documented encyclical <clears throat> encyclical, entitled, entitled, On Care for Our Common Home. And in this piece, the Pope called for the world to see that, quote, the unprecedented destruction of ecosystems that we are imposing on the earth is rooted in spiritual and moral questions and therefore requires a spiritual and moral response. You go, Pope Francis. So he indicated the well-being of the earth is not separate from the well-being of souls. Of course, they're talking about souls, that's not really a concept that we use, but he's talking about the same thing. It's about opening to. he also said that rather than the earth being a problem, this issue being a problem, the earth is a problem to be solved, the world is a joyful mystery to be contemplated with gladness and praise. Lovely. So we need to return to the connection that unites us all. And the connection that unites us all in this context is love. We don't talk about love as much in Buddhism, but Anyway, we know what that means. Because love is the most powerful force, he says, in creation. So our love for the earth will heal what we have desecrated. If we truly hear the cry of the earth, feel her suffering and pain, our hearts will open. Sounds like Avlokita Shvara to me. It's the same same concept as what we have. So interesting to me. So I found this particular... um, discussion interesting from the standpoint of it was released in 2015 and then there was a lot of uh, a lot of people catholics and maybe otherwise that began to rally around that and, and um, began to do things you know um a friend of mine is a devout catholic and she goes to church in south austin and she invited me to a talk <clears throat> by these missionary um. Uh, Abilance I mean, Order of the Catholic Church, and they were visiting their church, and they were talking specifically about the earth being something that needed to be taken care of and protected, and it was right around the same time. It was so interesting, and so the church members were going into their neighborhoods and cleaning up, you know, cleaning up trash and trying to make it. Nice, nice stuff. So I thought that was really, really cool. Okay, the second voice I want to mention is uh, a woman by the name of i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce this i think it's leweyland von lee and she's a Sufi teacher uh, from california and she's an author and she was writing the same same thing the world is not a problem to be solved it is a living being to which we belong the world is part of our own self and we are part of its suffering wholeness. Until we go to the root of our image of separateness, there can be no healing. There it is again, this idea of um, egoic, our Goic self, we gotta get beyond that. And the deepest part of our separateness from creation lies in our forgetfulness of its sacred nature, which is also our nature. So here we're seeing the sacred coming in of the earth. Um, another voice. This is from an activist, Indigenous activist. Uh, for, um, she's a voice for Indigenous consciousness, and has devoted her life to protecting lands and the life ways of Native peoples, Native communities. And her piece is called In the Time of the Sacred Places, and she talks about um, the importance of sacred sites for these people and how place belongs to a deeper understanding of spiritual ecology for them. So she stresses the choices we need to make at this time. <clears throat> and there's one story that she mentions that I'm going to um, not tell all the ins and outs of it. But basically, she was telling a, an indigenous story about a group of indigenous people that um, lived in Washington state, I believe, um, Where's the Hoover Dam? It's right on the, is that on the uh, border board? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, it was on one of the rivers that they lived, and they had salmon that lived in the rivers, and so they were called the salmon people, and they were, their charge was to, and the salmons are sacred creatures that they um, took care of. They Their, their role was, was to take care of the salmon. The salmon fed them, so it was a, a symbiotic relationship. Um, and of course, at some point, there was a dam put up, put up, and they were told that they wouldn't hurt their salmon, and that they did wash them all down the river. So um, anyway, so so I just thought that was an interesting voice to hear too. Um, I'm seeing they see the sacred. In in everything, they lost, lost, lost their place. Um, There was a group of them that moved to Australia when they were going to um, restart their with their sand, protecting sand there. So it wasn't the end of their story, but they were uh, they they lost their their place for quite some time. The last voice I want to mention, you all, I'm sure are. Familiar with Joanna Macy, the the system thinker and um, Lewis, and of course she discusses how the notion of self. And I'm going to quote this because the way she speaks is, it's uh, Joanna Macy. Um, The metaphoric construct of identity and agency on which we construct our strategies for survival, instincts of self-preservation and needs for self-approval and boundaries of our self-interest. That's a lot of words. Um, So basically the self, concept of self, is being replaced now. This is the good news. It's being replaced now by the ecological self, meaning that we're extending the sense of self to other beings and the life of the planet. So that's the good news. We know that there's a lot of positive stuff going on. She calls this the greeting of the South," and she was giving some examples of that. Um, you know, back when this is the source is a little bit outdated. I think it was written originally in 2013, and then um, it's had two other editions since then. But anyway, she was talking about tree huggers. How tree huggers are, you know, the people who were out in California, for example, that were sitting in redwood trees and really to the peril of their own lives. Um, they were trying to knock down the redwood trees, the redwood forests the in California. So uh, so these people had extended their sense of self to include these redwoods. That was a part of them they felt like and they were going to protect them. And also people like the Green Green Peace volunteers who were also putting their life at stake in all over the world in the ocean protecting uh, whales and sorts of creatures that were getting caught in meds. Anyway, so um, and the interesting thing about this, when I talk about the extension of self, of seeing other or seeing creatures as not as other but as a part of oneself, it causes us, motivates us to action. We want to protect because we love this thing. So, and you start to say enough. So, um, anyway, uh, Joanna Macy Macy also talks about the changes in science that have helped this idea of self perception um, being changed, being broadened. And uh, I won't go into those a whole bunch, but just Einstein's theory of. of how the perception of self is determined by the position in relation to other phenomena. Special on PDFs, I was watching specifically about that. It's really kind of interesting. So that's an example of science saying, oh, yes, self can extend beyond just just ourselves, our thought. Our identity can be broadened to include beyond just self. There's another uh, quote here about the Buddha that uh, Joanna Macy makes um, That's that uh, agrees with another scientific um, um, breakthrough, I suppose. In the system, science, um, for example, Joanna Macy's writings and other people, They challenge this old assumption about a separate continuous self by showing that there is no logical or scientific basis for constructing one part of the experienced world as me and the rest as other. So, and then she says, what the Buddha woke up to under the Bodhi tree was codependent arising of all phenomena in which you cannot isolate a separate continuous self because of that if you've been listening to peg for the last several weeks or well, i've read that previously that's what that's all about there's so many causes causing something you can't pinpoint one person or one thing it's an unidentifiable itself so <clears throat> So uh, Joanna Macy continues on, Buddhism, seeing through the self, and then once one to see through oneself and breaking through with meditation um, and <clears throat> sustains inside, and then you have wisdom of seeing and then your ethics frees us from the bondage of a separate self. We change the way we experience ourself through an ever-widening process of identification. So the process of self-realization is a progression where the self to be realized extends further and further beyond the separate ego and includes more and more of the phenomenal world. So my, um, so this is kind of a the theoretical background. And so tomorrow, what I want to look at more specifically is <clears throat> what, what do we do? What do we do as particular practitioners? You know, how do we how do we break through that separate self? Besides our normal practices, there's other ways that we can, can look at how we can look at nature in a different way. So that is the end of my talk for this evening. It's good because I'm losing my voice already. Okay? <clears throat> Sorry, does anybody have any questions or comments? Okay.
1: So um I guess we'll Start. Let's see, do we need to do a
0: kin first?
1: No. OK. We'll do in between you and Salsa. OK, cool. All right. Thank you.
0: Bodhisattva Way, can you guys can join? Me? When I, a student of the way, look at the real form of the universe, is the never failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of the awakened life. In any event, in any moment, and in any place, none can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light. This realization made our ancestors and teachers extend tender care with respectful hearts, even to such beings as birds and beasts. This realization teaches us that our daily food, drink, clothes, and protections of life are the warm flesh and blood, the merciful incarnation of the awakened one. Who can be ungrateful or not respectful even to senseless things, not to seek of humans. Even though we may be fools, be warm and compassionate toward them. If by any chance they should turn against us, become sworn enemies, and persecute us, we should sincerely bow down with humble language in the reverent understanding. That they are the merciful messengers of the awakened one, who use devices to emancipate us from blind tendencies produced and accumulated upon ourselves by our own egoistic delusion and attachment through the countless cycles of space and time. Then, on each moment's flash of our thought. There will grow a lotus flower, and on each lotus flower will be revealed perfection, unceasingly manifest as our life, just as it is right here and right now. May we extend this mind to all beings so that we and the world together may attain maturity in the wisdom of the awakened life. I'd like to read the second one, which comes from Mary Oliver, the Queen, Queen poet of nature related subjects of PR. Mindful. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. light. It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant but of the ordinary the calm the common the very drab the daily presentations the daily presentations oh good scholar i say to myself how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these the intremable light of the world the oceans shine prayers that are made out of grass. And welcome to those. This is their first first uh, day. Um, so I'd like to do a, a short recap of what we talked about yesterday, just so people are, know what we're talking about. So last night I talked about the dire condition of the Earth, which we can no longer ignore, and that this condition is largely due to the way that we view the world, the earth, as something separate from ourselves. Something we can exploit for our own benefit without taking care of it. So this has led to its decline in imbalance. So the evidence of the imbalance is all around us. It's the extreme weather conditions, the earthquakes, tsunamis, drought, fire, temperatures, flooding, and a species depletion. So um, there is a tipping point to this that will lead to an irreversible change and hopefully um, humans, all of us, can be a part of you know, waking up and changing things before we come to that point. So uh, I talked yesterday also about um, I read some excerpts from a text that I have been reading, it's called Spiritual Ecology, The Cry of the Earth. And um, most of the voices in this, they're people who are religious people, um, the Pope and Richard Moore and Joanna Macy, um, and then indigenous people, spirit guides, and um, all sorts of, a lot of indigenous, elders as well. So, and all the authors in this book, in one way or another, call for a healing of the planet. And um, the way that they recommend that we do that is through spiritual means. So it starts with seeing the natural world through the eyes of love and care as an extension of ourselves, rather than seeing it as other, or out there someplace. So if we make that change, it will enable us to create or recreate a spiritual relationship with the earth that in turn can motivate us into action and perhaps ultimately bring the earth back into a healthy balance. So the question is, how do we do this, particularly uh, in terms of uh, Buddhist practitioners? How do we bring our our practice to bear? How does the natural world become sacred to us? Is it already? So um, we do it pretty much the same way we do our practice period, right, through meditation. So through meditation, we develop a sense of the sacred. So in coming here, this place, what's special about this place, really? It's the house of awesome, But through our coming here, meeting here, through our meditation, through our practice, this has become a sacred space to us, right? And so, and our practice is also, how do we extend this care, this albamata, if you will, energetic, mindful energetic care? And love further out, besides just right here in our own little little world. And then, you know, how do we bring it to ultimately to the earth? Everything in it. So we start here and and cultivate this reverence for the zendo and then for the objects that we have that we create meaning. And it's the same thing with the world. stretch ourselves in the same way there. So we also practice here to loosen our grip on our habitual ways of looking at things and thinking about things through practice. And we strive to carry that out into the world in our relationship with ourselves and with others. Again, the next step, the world. So we, um, we do it, by connecting with the natural world, easy, right? Connect with it, and we connect through it, to it, through the, through embodiment, through um, our senses, right? and so we start paying attention when we're in the natural world. Just go outside and start paying attention and becoming curious and try to stay open to new possibilities. It's the same practice, right? So we. Go out and we just look. We just stop and look. What is there before us? You know, there's a, it's this great world, and we can focus on a particular thing like a tree or a flower or the sky. The sky is really complex, but you know, there's all these things that we can look at. And just take a moment and 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 really study and become curious and. and why is it doing the thing it's doing? And look at all the colors. Wow, this is really incredible. And this is completely different than the way it was yesterday. So you can go just think about it. And as we do this, we become present in our bodies, right? So the discursive mind kind of takes a break, which is always good for us. We preoccupations behind. And we discover many times this, this wonder in our lab this stuff is going on out here, and it's, everything is interacting with each other. Um, this is the stuff I love, you I know, if you can tell, but I do it, and then I spend a lot of time, <laughs> as much as I can. So, um, and as we do this, the, 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 as we practice this, we change our relationship to the world, and we have, we can have, it's a new way of being with it. And then and then thus we've begun the process of healing. It's, it's really simple. It starts there, just in our paying attention. Anytime you pay attention to any thing or person or objects that are living, um, you've already changed the relationship just by looking at it, spending some time going, huh? You know, that's the start. So we go outside, and we're going to do this in a little bit, but, um, and just walk around a little bit and just see what catches our eye. Inevitably, something will stand out and say, look at me, <laughs> they're talking to us all the time. And so we're, we're checking with our mind and we find this thing looks interesting. So, so, so we, Look at it, or it may be a sound. You know, it may be something, something's going on in it, or something in the grass. I hear it, and so then then you apply your sight. You know, you don't have to start with vision, but we often do because we're more, more visual. Um, and so and then you can then you can just investigate. You can if it's a tree, you know, I look this tree. It's so solid, and it's. Here on Earth for so many hundreds of years, a lot of them, not all of them, and then you can feel it. You know, you can touch it. How does it feel? You just become kind of intimate with it, right? And then you can feel an energy from trees, right? It's a kind of um, just the steadiness, like a energy. Anyway. Um, so if it's a, and this is the kind of stuff that kids do. You can just do this naturally and we all probably have done it, um, but a lot of times we forget about that, we don't do it anymore, so I encourage everyone to do it all the time, as much as they can, because there's a payback, I'm telling you, we'll get to it. So we keep looking and if you want to, if you decide on a live thing, it's a little bit more challenging because they're probably going to move around. But that's kind of fun because I can anticipate well, what's it doing and why is it doing that? Because there's a lot of weird stuff going on out there. I was watching the strangest thing. It was a it was a um, common, bird, uh, uh, what's the most common bird, a mockingbird. Is that the mockingbird it was in the um, in the yard? And it was walking around. Maybe you guys have seen this. And all of a sudden, it was doing this thing with its wings, like, what is that? And then he walked a little bit further, And I didn't, I don't know if it was some sort of mating thing or what. I still don't know whether I haven't looked it up yet, but it was very, very interesting, but very entertaining to watch it. So, um, and squirrels. Squirrels are great. I have a great passion for squirrels in a way. I mean, I dislike the fact that they eat all the fruit and tomatoes. All the apricots and peaches and anything else I could. But um, but if you're just walking down the street, you see them in a tree. You know they're just. I find them great and amusing because they they're so playful, right? And uh, you come up on them and then they you know they'll freeze or they'll scurry and they'll go behind the tree. And if you go to the other side of the tree, you know they're watching, <laughs> they're watching you and then they. Around to the other side, but if you follow them around, it becomes kind of a game. Anyway, you play with the squirrels. <laughs> they're just comical, and then when you see them play amongst each other, they're just they go running and make this wild jump to get on a tree for no particular reason. That running, it doesn't seem like they're running from anything, but they're just they're great. And then they did the kamikaze thing about making races with cars, which doesn't always work out really well. So, um, so then, uh, after all this looking and stuff, we might reflect on how this activity impacts us. You know, we can get a lot out of being if we pay attention to these things. Um, it can change our behavior, and we end up caring for these things, and then wondering how we can kind of protect them or something. But on the other hand, we also have a there's a benefit of and I can't really say what it is particularly, um, but a benefit, besides just entertainment, of, of watching the world and what it does. Um, yeah, I don't really have the words for that exactly. Aunt Mary Oliver Rockwell does, but I think she did in this, but, um, but it's, it's, I think, important when one is observing is paying attention to the sensation and feelings that come up in us when we are observing. Um, you know, I think the wonder part of it, but does it make us realize that there's this perfection going on all the time out there? And it doesn't require any human inter- intervention whatsoever, and it just is all Working together, everything is just, I don't know, Hmm. it's amazing. I think about the sun, it it rises every day, and it can make us literally stop in our tracks when it's you know, the ring that first comes over the horizon and the light comes shining out, and then there's these rays of light. I mean, it's just really impressive, and then the colors that are around it, that there are clouds, it's purples and pinks and oranges. And the same thing when it drops down, it's a different color, so it's a different, a different it. But they're just amazing things to watch, as is the moon. You while know, the other day I was really caught up with the full moon coming up over the horizon, and it was just fantastic. So, and something as simple as a breeze, you know, that blows across your cheek, you know, it feels like a tender caress. You know, it's like the earth you kind know, of going high. Or even this, you know, you see these, uh, you're out early in the morning, the dew drops on the leaves. Just, I don't know, it's just amazing. And then you think about that kind of stuff and how pleading it actually is. It's just kind of poignant you realize how precious it all is. We can watch the seasons as they change. And specifically, um, we, coming into winter or coming into summer, either, either direction, or it's usually spring and fall. But, um, the incredible impact. So we have this major season, and all of a sudden, there's a, there's a button push somewhere, and all the animals and, and all the plants are, you know, make this monumental change. You know, I, I think in terms of, uh, if you've ever Witnessed a migration of the birds. It's the most incredible thing to see because, in um, usually late March, April, the birds come and they're coming from, you know, South America, Central America, Mexico, and they've flown across the whole Gulf. Um, And there's just hundreds of thousands, millions of them coming in, and they're coming into different areas, but there's certain areas that are their prime spot to go for habitat. And it's astonishing, you know, you think there's one little switch of the globe, that has just moved to the right position, and this it triggers all this happening. And it's just mind modeling. And then, of course, the other direction. Then you think of the hummingbirds, those tiny little birds, and they make the same trip. It's a long trip. You eat like crazy for weeks and weeks to build up enough body weight to be able to make it there the same thing on the way back and then you got the motor- butterflies in <laughs> out to Mexico. Mexico oh my god I don't know it just it just blows me away so anything well so many things to look at and so many things to be astonished by so many things to be totally to be odd awe inspiring so So many things that bring again this wonder, sense of wonder. all what's going on out there? So I just, uh, have to talk about Rachel Carl Carson and this book, best book ever. If you're interested in wonder, this lady was um, writing in the 1950s i think she died late um, fifties, and she was a scientist i can't remember all the details of her life but she was basically a scientist and she was very interested in nature and wonder that she was also doing research on pesticides and she learned um the over about the overuse it became very clear uh, how pesticides were so overused in the united states i mean for everything was Filling our houses full of chemicals to kill off those, and you know there were chemicals in everything, and so she ended up writing this book, um, uh, letting the world know exactly what was going on, and it had a major impact on on what chemicals are allowed in the house and what aren't. So she's an incredible lady, but um, she she wrote this book. The um, sense of wonder and it's it's a book about um, uh, about how to teach wonder to children, which is really great and she talks about the importance of children learning about wonder and being awed by the, the natural world because that kind of stuff will stay with you for the rest of your life and it has the impact of besides all the beauty of it you never you always have a way to be you have a certain contentment or a way to no matter what's going on in your life no matter what your vexations are you have something to always appreciate so it's a real uh, source of resilience and so forth so um let's see well, i want to talk to you about something she did so, like I say, this lady is really big into nature. And so she took her grandson as an infant. <laughs> and there she had a um, cabin up in Maine, on the coast of Maine. And she took this infant. It was this one night, there's a Northwester coming in or something. And anyway, a huge storm coming off, <laughs> off the water. And it was thunder, and the, the ocean was all roiled up. And, She took the child out and was holding him and and talking to him saying, you know, holding him right there, saying, listen, listen to the earth. It's listen to the sea. It's talking to us. It's very excited. And, you know, she made it like this wonderful thing, not something to be frightened of. So that's where she started with this kid. And then from then on, she was taking him out in the summers and taking care of him and she would walk with him. and cultivate his interest, let him, without just telling him what everything was, she'd bring him along and let him ask the questions. And then she would say, Oh, yes. Yeah. So it was just, just wonderful. And what a, what a wonderful thing is still in children, and going early. So, anyway, enough for it to close up, I guess. But that's a great book, and for you with children, check it out. Um, so she actually published uh, an article an essay in 1956 in the Women's Home Companion under the title "Help Your Children to Wonder." and um, so she r- r- reminds us of the ch- that children are intuitively um, apprehending the truth that most adults have forgotten that we are all part of the natural world so. Anyway, she encourages the adult to to show the emotion, emotional aspect of of seeing stuff and caring about the earth. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit. I'd like to have um, you all get to talk about some of your experiences. I guess we'll do that later on, so do some writing, and I want to hear about some of your experiences with this stuff. Um, and I'll have a question about that. But I'll just tell you how I got, I got, um, had this love of nature that was created in me. I was very fortunate to uh, run up in a very small town in uh, Massachusetts, out uh, west, I guess, of Boston. And um, we lived on a, this um, street that was a cul-de-sac, and there was a hill. and, there. and So there was a creek, or what would you ever call it a creek in the Texas things <laughs> They call it a brook. Anyway, there's a brook that <laughs> meandered through the, the bottom of this, the, the far side of the street. The people that lived on the end behind their house. And so there was a, 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 a swamp at one end, which was so cool because up would come irises, wild irises in the spring. Um, and then in the winter, we would ice skate there, you know, it over and we would ice skate. And then um, the brook went under a bridge and we went down to the plain and there was a pond that actually belonged to a particular family, but my brothers and four older brothers who were always down at the pond <laughs> doing their deviltry, <laughs> catching the snakes and frogs and so forth. So, so it was a delight. I had one particular brother. I have one particular brother that is would fascinated with nature and always has been. And um, he occasionally would let me follow him. <laughs> and we'd be walking in, in the woods, and he'd say, you know, I would be, I'm sure, rambling on about something, and he'd say, shh, listen. And, you know, there'd be something moving around, I'd say, you know, so he got me doing that. I still do that to day, shh, listen. <laughs> so he's the one that got me really started with that. And um, so to this day, uh, as I say, nature is of interest to me and the experiences in the natural world are, are important. It's how I've developed a love for, for nature and has motivated me to some minor action, such as it is. Um, so here in Austin, many years now, after that, growing up in that um, When I was going to retire from the state, I, you know, i did done a lot of stuff outdoors for many, many years, but after I was going to retire, I was looking for something to be involved in, and I joined them. I took this course that the city offers, which is Master Naturalist, and where you learn all the natural sciences. They have classes every Saturday, and it's about almost a year long. And then you have field trips as well. And um, and then that makes you a prime candidate as a volunteer for the city of Austin. So City of Austin is very smart setting up this program. But anyway, it's all it's all free, but you've got to do so many hours per year. But so my way of looking at it was is that I was getting very upset about um losing all the green space in austin now, austin has a lot of parkland but still it seems like on every street corner it's getting worse that there are more and more houses and apartment complexes which we need housing but um, i hate seeing the loss of habitat for other creatures so anyway with master naturalist i could i could volunteer for preserves and actually feel like i was doing something to to impact um, this place austin better in some way and then um, Stephanie will remember this. We did a litter, remember the litter walk we did for the the group that was walking with Peg? We did a litter cleanup all along the route. And so I took that home and did that in my neighborhood. And then I became the crazy lady who put a trash can, a spare trash can out at the bottom of our street where everybody was chunking stuff. It's just hacking me off. I put a trash can out there, wrote a little note on there, you know, use this, it's not official, but don't your stuff, stuff, stuff in it. So, um, so that's what happens, you know, you, you start, you know, your love for, for nature starts to say, okay, I want to protect, protect things. And so you start doing stuff within your sphere of influence. You know, so much of this stuff about global warming seems so big and you just want to pull the covers over your head. But there's so much that we can do on a limited basis in our own sphere of influence. So it's important to that in mind and not get overwhelmed. So, so it is easy to develop a sense of the sense of the natural world being sacred and converting that into action. It's just a matter of paying attention and looking for opportunities. So it, now it seems like what I've been doing. It's I've fallen into doing these little reflections and talking about the stuff I see and. Um, Kind of fun to do that <clears throat> but hopefully sometimes it inspires someone to appreciate this wonderful and beautiful world we have so thank you any particular questions or
1: okay i'm just going to
0: comment i appreciate the uh, um teaching a wonder and watching little kids in, in the, of the world so we live on uh, a couple of acres mm. and having a toddler wander around mm. uh nature on a couple of acres is a, a, is a good reminder to be
2: awestruck by the ordinary yeah they're great teachers oh my goodness That's, yeah an exacting one but a good one
0: <laughs> <laughs> indeed yeah uh, and i think that a good practice with my grandchildren
1: and really buddhism Kind of brought me to this is to do what rachel carson does basically not tell them what they're seeing but point to the experience of what they're seeing yeah. and doing because you know that's what babies do but as soon as we start bringing in language sometimes
0: um, there's a little bit of a distance then from that's right what it is you're seeing and doing. so i try to do it with my grandchildren i wasn't present enough to do it with my kids but yeah. i I'm all about, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Let them experience it and then they make some ask other questions. It's a good reminder for me, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So, um, the questions from the, from the other side of the computer. <laughs> okay, so now what I'd like to do, I have in the packet of yours an exercise that we're going to do, and I'll go over what we're, what's, what's entailed, okay, um, and let's see, so You've got the instructions, but I'll go over it just in case there's any questions. So, what we're going to do is go outside. It's a little bit warm, and it's, the sun's not out at the present moment. Um, so, go outside and just find something that that you naturally are interested in. Something that draws you in. You know, it can be anything. It could be just whatever a piece of wood or a rock or. I'm saying this sky is going to be hard. So Don't think something real complicated. It's something fairly simple. Otherwise, it will be harder for you to write. So, um, and then, uh, so what you're going to do is sketch the thing. And oh, I'm going to get out pens and pencils. I mean, pens and oh, get it away. Um, we're going to s- sketch it and just. Um, Draw what you see. This is not an art project. It doesn't. Uh, it's not about making this perfect picture that everybody has to understand. You know what it is and all that. It's just it's for you, just to show what you saw, and and just you know take take your time with it a little bit, just so you see some see some details and so forth. Um, the details that most interest you, in particular, and then on this thing you write the date and time and the location of the exercise. Should you want to ever do this again, you could keep a keep like a little diary. Of it. It's kind of fun to do that. Um, anyway, then then write a description of the object, including the details. So you you've drawn it and then you describe it in words and what it is doing, if anything. And then the next. Uh, the thing you're going to write about is what you understand about it and how you feel towards it. And then the last thing you write is this I will remember this, I will keep looking. So that's just part of the uh, exercise. The is that seem clear? Pretty straightforward? Okay. So, um, monitors. I'm thinking, let's see, we're 40 after. This is where the schedule gets um, you'll have to tell me, um, what does, what are we supposed to do next? When? Uh, it says 1045 is T and then oh, we're not doing that You're yeah. doing that in the afternoon, okay. And then it so says, uh, 1115, 1115, so. That'll be more than enough time. Well, okay, that's all right. We'll come back. uh, So let's do. I'm going to say 20 minutes and 40. That'll be 11:10. So let's come back at 11:10, and then we'll do the in there. Okay. That sound good, everybody. Okay, we're back. So, um, so how was that for for folks? Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. I was just um, really surprised at how much I kept seeing after I thought I had seen it. As long as I kept engaging with it,
1: yeah. Instead mm-hmm.
0: of you know creating a snapshot and then thinking that I knew what I saw, uh-huh. it was interesting. Great, that's yeah. nice. That's really nice. Did you have any? It was uh, it was writing about it, but it was interesting. I was just started to
1: um, responding to what I understand about this. I had some uh, ideas that weren't readily apparent, they just sort of spilled out. And I don't think if I had spent, mm-hmm. if I had not spent the time in that proximity and drawing and sort of sitting with it, I don't think those understandings would have spilled out.
0: Nice. I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. So how about you guys? The voices from over, oops, from over there. If <laughs> I wanted to look at the big screen. Um, yeah, so what was your experience? Anybody there?
3: Um, I always find it when I, uh, I draw something, you know, like a, uh, I drew a rose, and uh, or if I'm drawing a face, uh, and some a face I've even been um, someone that I really, really well. I learned something about it always. About them, about, um, the rose. Um, and um, uh, you know, I, I also am free to notice my thoughts a little bit more. Uh, the rose had aphids,
1: <laughs>
3: and so I took care of the rose while I was out there. There <laughs> um, you know, and, and my dogs were out there and my dogs were barking and there was noise in the neighborhood, you know, and it, it's so it, it, um, it, it puts me in a different space. And, and yet I'm, I'm also, um, I think probably more present to, uh, the distractions as well. Um, you know, I'm, I, cause I'm right there. Um, And I always find this a lovely exercise. It always puts me in a different space when I do something like this. So I appreciated it, thank you.
4: Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Anybody else? Yeah, I loved the, I I was drawing a leaf and and it, it was kind of what a begonia leaf. You know, the really sort of big and the really huge leaves and um just noticing all the different kind of curves and crevices and and just like that they, they they don't just go up the the stems just just doesn't go up sideways they kind of all convolute and go around and and then I noticed that oh and then my eye got to my fuchsias <laughs> the little yeah. bits that, that dangle off and it was like and I, I noticed I was seeing people in them you know like they They've got like little wings that come out, little arms and a little, I mean, I'm a bit, my drawing's terrible, but the only way <laughs> to sort of show you is kind of like how it kind of, the little, oh, that's um, great. but like a little dress, oh, a little. Yes. you know, it looks like a little fairy kind of hanging from, and then I just thought, isn't it amazing how it just knows how to do it? It just becomes that you yeah. know it, you know and if it doesn't have enough soil or the right conditions it'll become itself to its limit within its conditions yeah you know and how they just thrive no matter what and no matter what condition they just become yeah. and, and it's just taking me all to that kind of thinking so it was really lovely just to sit in my yard and as I call it and just really look at all the different plants and shapes and stems and how they all get watered the leaves have all got them things through them so they can get all the nourishment right to the tips yeah. it's really thought through and yet it isn't i just think about all the thinking we go through for ourselves you know and they, these just get on with it you know they just, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank
2: you. Yeah, thank you so much, um, For me, I I sat outside and I got distracted by the breeze. Um, I, I'm as much as I love nature, and I do. Um, I really love the wind, especially when it is well, all different kinds. But I, I'm very aware of the way it blows through the trees and makes the trees dance back and forth and back and forth. And uh, listening to the way it moves through my wind chimes, just like it does there at Appamata. Um, But I, I, I was actually drawing and, and trying to focus on coleus. I have several pots of coleus, different kinds of coleus in my yard. And I love them um, because they're so colorful. That lime green just with almost a red just amazes me um, how beautiful it is all through the summer, even when it gets really hot. They just add so much color and vibrancy to my life. And uh, for me, that's kind of what nature does as a whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> what were
1: you
0: gonna sound? Well,
1: uh, as I was listening to, to Maria, I have almost personified my, this tree, and I don't know if that's a compliment to the tree or, <laughs> a, or an insult, but uh, those of you who have been here at, at Acomada in Austin know the tree I'm talking about. It's stunning. It is. It takes my breath away. I have the good fortune, the blessing of living back there, and I spend a lot of time on that back deck. And that tree has become my strong, wise, old grandmother. Mm. Just you know, not not showy, but but stunning. Not you know, solid and yet like a dancer, because its branches just lead this way and that and curve, and it's just sort of its own. Um, internal intelligence and heart that has made it grow that way. Yeah. And, and 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 I even started out by saying, you know, I, I don't know your name. Right. I don't know what we call you, but does it matter to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, beautiful. That's nice. I think there's a three of us anyway that we're looking at the tree, right? Yeah. No. I, I think I was um drawing the tree. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: it it, what i was struck by at the very end that it was just as much air
0: earth sun color sound all of this thing that we call tree you know but it was everything everything in this and yeah Right. Well, <clears throat> I I kind of went off on another tack. I did the tree, and I was I was noticing where where it hits the porch, you know. And I was I, I was just looking at it, and it brought back a memory, actually, of something else. But um, I was noticing how solid the the tree is, and. You know the energy of it is i'm i'm gonna be here you know which is really strong. a different tree you're talking this
1: i'm group. talking the oh i'm talking yeah. the one okay. off the back deck that's near the neighbor's palace oh i don't think i looked at that oh the one that goes right over the head yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay
0: okay yeah that's different tree. <laughs> so no i was talking about the mighty tree, and i couldn't see really the top of it where i was sitting but it it grows um, right up against the porch. And so it's, you know, almost like growing growing into the porch. And it reminded me of a peach tree that I had in my backyard that I planted shortly after I moved in. And when it was small, and so I put a wire around it to make it stand erect. And I did not tend my tree. And so, you know, what you're supposed to do is, once it gets going, you remove that, which I never removed it, and years later I went, what happened to that, why am I going to take that off of there, <laughs> and by that time, it had the tree had just grown over it, and it was misshapen, and I felt so bad that I ruined this, I mean, it was still alive, but I mean, it just kept on going, It put out its leaves, it put out its flowers, and it put out its fruit, didn't bother but don't think it's the best thing for trees. But it goes to, to show you how resilient these these things are. I think that's what we're that tree. All right. Well, so I guess we'll move on to the next thing. Which is awesome. Yes. This goes on awesome until. Um, Tell